over there so i just opened a flying dog salty bitch (laughs) i love everything about that (laughs) and i don't even know what kind of beer it is i knew you would appreciate it and i'm not gonna lie when i saw it i had like this whole thing go through my head flying dog has has been in a little bit of trouble because some of their some of their beers have a sexist undertone to them, oh. and Salty Bitch could technically be one of them, but then I just saw it for what it kind of looked like it was intended to be, because it, it's talking about, like, the ocean, and it kind of has, like, a, a picture of, like, a crazy, what looks like a sea witch kind of woman, like, on the front, oh. and it says, all hail the queen in a sea of beer. She stands alone, salty with a touch of tart. Her cold stare will leave you questioning your life choices or not. We don't know what you've done with your life. We just make beer. <laughs> <laughs> so it is a tart ale, I suppose. Ooh. Yep. American tart. What are you drinking over there? So I have a Michael and David's Freak Show and it's a Cabernet Sauvignon. And it's in this cute little can. It's like this can is like a serving, not like the regular cans that I drink out of. That's more like two. Um, It's like (laughs) smaller than the size of my hand. It's so damn cute. You guys will have to see the pictures on Instagram. But yeah. So I thought, well, this is good portion control for Sam, who's back on Weight Watchers. So we'll just we'll just do this today. (laughs) And it's a fun can. It's like a circus theme. And there's, like, the world's strongest man on Earth. Oh. And all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, you guys, make sure you check out the pictures on our social media, because it's pretty cool. And welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for your ears. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and the new knowledge we've gained, and we share that with our community of small and large-scale farmers. And sometimes we go off on tangents that are non-farming related, but we cut those tangents and put them up on the Patreon. Yes, and this episode's outtakes are exclusively for our Patreon peeps, so make sure you go to patreon.com slash drinkandfarm, and if you join at the $2 level or above, you're going to get access to fun exclusive recordings, sometimes we throw pictures up there, and it's an excellent way to support the podcast, and we have all kinds of fun stretch goals up there too for different levels, and you you just got to go check it out because it's pretty neat. Yeah, and one of the levels we have is sponsoring our drinks for the episode. So thanks to our Patreon peep, Elise Ferguson. We get to enjoy a beverage this episode. So cheers, Elise. Cheers. Oh, and Elise is at EGF Brahma Mama over on the Instagram. The Instagram. The Instagram. <laughs> not <Yes>. a Instagram. <laughs> so... 
It's that time of the month, Bev. Oh, it is. It's time for our Henny and Rue corner. Woo! <laughs> um, so I I'm a little worried to let you go first because I think our thing that is our favorite thing is gonna be the same. But what was your favorite thing from this month's box? It's okay. We can both have the same favorite thing. Okay. I guess so. I mean, my favorite thing was obviously the salted caramels because apparently I'm a salty bitch today. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, same. Like, it's kind of, this might be TMI, but it's like if you eat one of those caramels, like, the, like, saliva just goes crazy in your mouth because it's just so good. Your taste buds just can't even with it. And there was, I think there were like four in there. Yeah. So I've only eaten two so far. <laughs> but by the time this drops, they'll probably be all gone. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm really glad that we did this corner because I had kind of forgotten about it. I just, I had so many things going on last week yeah. that I got my box and I was really excited and opened it up and looked through the things, but I haven't eaten any of the caramels yet. So now I know that when we're done, I have four caramels that I get to go like sneak eat when yeah. the kids aren't looking. <laughs> Salted caramels with your salty bitch. <laughs> mm, it sounds like a great pairing if you ask me. Yes, I agree. Um, One of the other favorite things that I was happy to see, though, um, was the little hen bracelet, which is super cute. Um, and it's kind of like something that is kind of dressy, fancy that you can probably wear to work or when you're out and about. And it looks kind of classy, but it's got a little hen on it, which is really cute. So I liked that. If I have to choose a separate favorite, I think that would be it. (laughs) (laughs) As if you asked, if you asked Aurora what her favorite was, it was that. Because as soon as I opened the box, she was like hovering over me. She didn't (laughs) notice the caramels, but she saw that bracelet right away and like snagged it. (laughs) And then I looked at it. I was like, oh, all right. If you really want it, you can have it, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) She opened it, put it on, and ran out of the room. I'm like, okay, that's not mine anymore. <laughs> Just before mom, you know, changes her mind. But hey, you know what? You get all the caramels. So I guess if you have to have a trade-off, that's a decent one. That is true. And she will love and cherish it. So Yes. Yes. So we also got some Flock Frenzy Sunflower Delight. And it's always fun to have extra treats on hand. Mm-hmm. And we got Brown's Poultry Grit Plus. Um, which is something that's necessary for chickens. So it helps digest food in the crop. Um, and it can actually help provide calcium for strong eggs. So it's really important to have this stuff on hand and in your coop, um, especially as the weather cools down, maybe they're not going outside as much to peck and hunt themselves. As soon as I like saw this was in the box, I like ripped it open, went into the coop and like dumped it into a little, little tray that we have for grit because... It's just, it's that, getting to be that time of the year where that stuff is kind of something you need to start paying attention to more. (laughs) Well, and we get this uh, grit, I want to say at least twice a year. I've had it a couple of times because no joke, it seems like I always run out right when another like bag that size of the grit comes in the Henny and Rue box. So it's always perfect. I haven't bought grit in forever. Oh, so nice. <laughs> when it comes in, like I open up the bag, I'm like, oh, hey, I should probably go check and see if they need any. And I check. Sure enough, they do. And it's the perfect size for my grit feeder. So rip the top off, put it in there. And I'm like, all right, now I can count on Henny and Rue for more later. <laughs> <laughs> They're anticipating our every need. Yes. <laughs> so also in the box was Coop Recruit. 
coop recuperate. <laughs> Say that five times fast. That's a mouthful. <laughs> yes. But it helps treat litter to reduce odor, moisture, and bacteria. Um, and also another thing that's super important this time of year because it's getting damper out. And I don't know. Like, sometimes I think... This time of year, the coop gets a little funkier, weirder because the humidity is doing weird things compared to summer. Um, so this is another good product to have on hand to kind of keep the stank out. And we also got a Bio Aqua Egg Face Mask. Yeah. I'm glad I pronounced that right. I think I got that right. Yeah, Bio Aqua. It's a popular Korean beauty treatment that replaces skin moisture lost to indoor heating. Ooh. So not only did we get good things for our chickens for this season, we got something nice for ourselves for this season. Yes, but I'm refusing to turn on the heat in my house. I'm like making bets with myself for how long I can go. So I'm definitely saving this for like probably like December, January after you know, the heat's been on for a little bit. <laughs> I haven't turned my heat on either, but we did turn on the fireplace yesterday, but it was 60 degrees in the house. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's fair. That doesn't count. That's different. Okay, good. <laughs> um, also in the box was a vet response wound and skincare solution. And it's like this handy little spray that you can just spray on your chickens if they have any kind of skin irritation. Um or like wounds and it helps accelerate the heating like we have some of this stuff for even humans in our house and I like it because it's just simple and easy to use and like things that come with daubers (laughs) when you're trying to deal with a pesky (laughs) chicken especially if it's like blue coat or something where it's gonna stain your skin Um, sometimes the spray is just easier so I was glad to see that in this month's box as well yeah, and we also got a package of the Dervet water additive, which promotes general poultry health. And then, of course, we got a nesting box liner. Yay! Woohoo! And have you seen the sneak peek for November yet? I have. It's pretty cool. Do you want to tell our listeners what's in the sneak peek and why, if they're not already a subscriber, they should go be a subscriber for Honey and Rue? <laughs> Yes, I would love to. So the sneak peeks for November are a Happy Holidays Mother Cluckers Shadowproof Wine Glass, which yes. is like right up our alley. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and a soy candle in the ceramic pot with cover. And I think that that's the sandalwood candle oh. that is going to be in the Hanyan Rue Farm Home Box. Oh, Gotcha. I'm really excited about that because I ordered the farm home box. Like I ordered it and paid for it. I wanted one so bad. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm excitedly waiting for that to arrive. And I'll be sure to tell people what I thought of it. Because like, I think that it's really fun to just get surprises in the mail because I never get surprises very often anymore. (laughs) Yeah, adulting tends to leave you in a more responsible frame of mind where you're not surprising yourself or treating yourself maybe as much as you would have previously. So I think that's why I like this stuff too. Yeah. And I'm totally not disappointed that I'm going to end up with two of those candles because I love really good clean scents and I have two perfect places for them to go. So I'm excited for them. Nice. So if you want to get in on that November Henny and Rue box, uh, you can go over to hennyandrue.com and get 
set up with a subscription. And if this is your first box, you can use code Drink and Farm at checkout to get 10% off your first box. All right. I think it's time to dive into our episode. Yes. Ugh. So excited. Yes, me too. <laughs> so last week, um, we talked about the new red meat study uh, that came out that basically did like a whole overview over all this meat study reviews that are out there and like weeded out what they consider to be crap data and just did a big review and we talked about it. Um, so if you missed that, make sure you check out um, episode 81, Sad Eating Chili, which you're probably like, what does that title mean? Well, you got to go listen um, to hear about that. But it's not required for you to listen to that before listening to this one. So today we're going to talk about how livestock have gotten a bad rap in the climate change forum for being, you know, a large reason why we're having such an issue with climate change um, and how that is like semi untrue or kind of really untrue or exaggerated kind of feels like another true crime thing where like somebody's being framed (laughs) well so i don't want to say that it's untrue because meat production and animal livestock it does have an effect on the climate and climate change but it's not the effect that you think it is because there was a study that was put out that had some data in it that wasn't quite right and wasn't collected in the manner that it should have been in order to be a comparison to other things. So that's what we're going to talk about today, because it's not nearly the impact that you might think it is if you have not heard how this study was flawed. Right. And that's an interesting point, because sometimes it's really easy to... I mean, I've seen it. Have you ever been on Facebook before and you're scrolling and somebody like posts something about somebody that died and they're like, oh my God, I'm so sad. Here's a link to the article. And you click the article and they died like six years ago. Yeah. (laughs) And this person just saw it and didn't like click and read the article and like look at the date. Yeah. So like it's to me, it's like that kind of thing where you're just kind of reading headlines and not digging into the context or ever like following up on something. Um, so that's kind of what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about what that research said and how it was wrong. Yeah. And how cows have been framed as the super bad guys of climate change <laughs> when they're maybe just like a minion, really an underling of the bad guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're just kind of a par for the course on what, what it is to be a human and, and have impact on the planet yes. that we live on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cows aren't humans, but, you know. <laughs> well, but but we use them yes, as, a, I as know. one of our food sources. So <laughs> I just wanted to be clear to anybody that's listening. Yes. We don't think cows are humans. No, we, no, we don't. We bro- both personally think cows are tasty. And thank God they're not humans because that would be really twisted. <laughs> oh, that would be super twisted. Super twisted. Very Dahmer feel. So the article that we pulled for today's chat um, is uh, the title of it is, yes, eating meat affects the environment, but cows are not killing the climate. And it was written by Frank M. Mitloner. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay. (laughs) And he is the professor of animal science and air quality extension specialist at University of California, Davis. 
and he receives funding from the California Air Resources Board, also known as CARB or CARB, if you know how to spell, and <laughs> California Department of Food and Agriculture. And uh, yeah, on all of his research, it says who he's paid by. So I thought it was a good I idea like for us to point it out too. Yeah. So that's where he gets his funding to do his research. Good stuff. All right. So basically, and, and Bev's kind of covered this already, I think people, you know, when we're talking about climate change and kind of tying back to the meat thing last week, it's can be a really easy default to say, well, stop eating meat and, you know, that'll have a great impact on the environment. Um, and even some activists have even called for taxing meat to reduce consumption of it, which I don't know. Have you... I feel like I should have looked into some studies before this. Like, you know how they tax tanning and cigarettes? It'd be interesting to know if putting tax on things really deters consumption. I mean, so despite the tax on like alcohol and cigarettes and things of that manner, as far as I know, people that still want to use those products still buy them. I don't know if it has reduced the number of people that use them. Um, but I have not heard any talk, at least in, in my state, about taxing meat to curb consumption of it. So I am not sure if that's been like a topic for discussion in other states of the country, yeah. but I, I haven't heard that. So. I think it's mostly like vegan activists are saying like tax the meat because it doesn't impact them negatively to tax meat. <laughs> but for me, that would suck. Um, but I would still buy it. So it is what it is. But anywho's, um, a key claim underlying these arguments around like eat less meat to save the environment. Um, they hold on to this global idea that meat production generates more greenhouse greenhouse gases than the entire transportation section. However, um, as we've hinted, this is very, very wrong. Um, and it's persistent has led to false assumptions about the linkage of meat and climate change. So according to Frank's research, um, and this paper was published in Advances of Agronomy. Agronomy? Sure. Um, <laughs> this is just like the annals from last week. I'm off to a great start. Um, but anyways, the advances of whatever Bev just said, um, it focuses on ways in which animal agriculture affects air quality and, qu and climate change. And there are many reasons for either choosing animal protein or opting for vegetarian selection. And that could be like cultural, religious, or moral. However, foregoing meat and meat products is not the environmental cure-all. And if taken to an extreme, it could also have harmful nutritional consequences. So that's kind of like a spoiler for everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was um, like the basic run through of his journal paper. Yes. That we'll link to in the show. The abstract. <laughs> the abstract. <Yes. laughs> what he did in this article or what he's attempting to do in this article is he's attempting to set the record straight on meat and the amount of greenhouse gases that meat production actually produce. And a healthy portion of meat's bad rap centers on the claim that livestock is the largest source of greenhouse gases worldwide. For example, a 2009 analysis published by the Washington, D.C.-based World Watch Institute asserted that 51% of global GHG emissions, which is 
greenhouse gas emissions. Mm -hmm. So we'll we'll probably be shortening that from now on. (laughs) (laughs) Come from rearing and processing livestock. So according to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, the largest sources of U.S. GHG emissions in 2016 were electricity production, 28% of total emissions, transportation, 28%, and industry, which is like basically everything else, 22%, and all of agriculture accounted for a total of 9%. And all of animal agriculture contributes less than half of this amount, representing 3.9% of total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. So we're only talking about what the United States puts out, not any other country. Right. But cows are definitely not the bad guys in the good old USA. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And we're going to tell you why that misconception even came about. Yes. So in 2006, the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, and we'll call them FAO from now on, um, not LMFAO, but <laughs> FAO, <laughs> the Food and Agriculture Organization. Uh, they published a study titled Livestock's Long Shadow, which received widespread international attention. It stated that livestock produced a staggering 18% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. And the agency drew a startling conclusion. Livestock was doing more to harm the climate than all modes of transportation combined. This latter claim was wrong and has since been corrected by Henning Steinfield, the report's senior author. The problem was that analysts used a comprehensive life life cycle assessment to study the climate's impact of livestock, but a different method was used when they not analyze transportation. So this is kind of like how we talked through the different methods of research last week and how they can yield very different results. So consistency and reliable research methods definitely matter. And for livestock, they considered every factor associated with producing meat, and this included emissions from fertilizer production, converting land from forest to pastures, growing feed, and direct emissions from animals, aka belching and poop, um, from birth to death. However, when they looked at transportation carbon footprint, they ignored impacts on the climate from manufacturing vehicles, materials and parts, Um, assembling vehicles and maintaining roads, bridges, and airports. Instead, they only considered the exhaust admitted by finished cars, trucks, trains, and planes. As a result, the FAO's comparison of greenhouse gas emissions from livestock to those from transportation were greatly distorted. Um, yeah. (laughs) Egg on your face. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and this Frank guy kindly pointed out this flaw during a speech to fellow scientists in San Francisco on March 22nd, 2010, um, and it led to a flood of media coverage. And to its credit, the FAO immediately owned up to its error. But unfortunately, the agency's initial claim that livestock was responsible for the lion's share of world greenhouse gas emissions had already received wide coverage. And to this day, we still struggle to unring the bell, so to speak. Yeah. Bum, bum, bum. Um, But we're unringing that bell right now for our audience because I knew that that wasn't true, but I didn't know 
where it originally came from or why I knew it wasn't true. So this was even eye-opening for me. Um, So we're hoping it's eye-opening for you guys too. Well, and it's funny because I had heard the two different numbers and I had always wondered why the wide difference in scientific opinion on how much greenhouse gas emissions, you know, animal livestock really put out. But I guess I was never motivated personally enough to really dig into it any further. Mm -hmm. I just Mm -hmm. knew that there was some ambiguity on how confident they were that animal agriculture and meat production really were the culprits. So that was all I knew. So in its most recent assessment report, the FAO estimated that livestock produces 14.5% of global greenhouse gas emissions from human activities. There is no comparable full life cycle assessment for transportation. However, as Steinfeld has pointed out, direct emissions from transportation versus livestock can be compared and amounted to 14 versus 5% respectively. So you could say like, well, could we say that like livestock is three times less than transportation? Um, I think you can say cow farts are three times less than car farts, <laughs> right? Is that basically what that says? <laughs> I'm bad at math. You're the accountant. So we'll go with what you said. And you said cow farts. So you win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's how I'm reading it now that, okay. I, now that okay. I know it. But I think all of this, all of this information so far that we've pointed out is really interesting because I think it just shows that the greenhouse gas emissions picture is just a little bigger mm-hmm. than everything that we think. Like, and really, like the largest sectors that put out the most amount of greenhouse gas emissions are like transportation and our industry and electricity, things like that. So mm-hmm. it's important to see that there are lots of different places that could use just a little more help I guess as a nice way to put it yeah that is a very nice way to put it (laughs) (laughs) with Halloween upon us your birds may be looking pretty scary if they're molting and they're brown to have a case of resting beak face as the temps drop and nothing is spookier on the farm than having your chickens lurking in the bushes stalking you because you're all out of chicken snacks So turn their frowns upside down with Grubbly Farms Grubblies, the official chicken snack of the Drink and Farm podcast. Grubblies are black soldier fly grubs, and they are less scary than most mealworm treats. Did you know that mealworm treats tend to be grown and processed in China where the food regulations aren't as strict as they are here? Now that's scary. You can take comfort in the fact that Grubblies are 100% natural, they're non-GMO, have zero additives and zero preservatives, and are grown in the USA and oven-dried under USDA regulations. No jump scares here. You and your flock won't feel tricked when they get these treats. Head on over to grubblyfarms.com and use code FARM15 to get 15% off your first order. Okay, so we just gave you a bunch of data and numbers and all sorts of fun stuff to think about. But what's the basic takeaway? And the basic takeaway, according to this Frank guy from UC Davis, is that giving up meat won't save the climate. So many people continue to think that avoiding meat as infrequently as once a week will make a significant difference to the climate. And significant is the key word here. 
But according to one recent study, even if Americans eliminated all animal protein from their diets, they would reduce U.S. greenhouse gas emissions by only 2.6%. And according to our research at the University of California, Davis, if the practice of Meatless Monday were to be adopted by all Americans, we'd see a reduction of only 0.5%. So basically, giving up meat is not the cure-all that we see it advertised as. Now, would it make some difference? Yeah, it would make a little difference. But if suddenly everybody stopped eating meat, climate change wouldn't suddenly be reversed, basically. No. But what's interesting is that there have been quite a few technological, genetic, and management changes that have taken place in the U.S. agriculture over the past 70 years that have actually made livestock production more efficient and less greenhouse gas intensive. And according to the FAO statistical database, total direct greenhouse gas emissions from U.S. livestock has declined 11.3% since 1969, while production of livestock meat has more than doubled. So high five to U.S. agriculture. That is a really big effing deal. Yeah, that is a big deal because seriously, dropping the greenhouse gas emissions while also doubling production is huge. You would think that it would double the gas yeah. emissions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like the agriculture industry is actually like really woke, as the kids say, about climate change. And they're actively doing things to be more efficient and to be more environmentally friendly, where other interest industries are kind of like limping behind a little bit. Because obviously, like for transportation, like the world is growing at an obnoxious rate, right? So <laughs> it's hard to keep up with that and continue to be efficient in agriculture gets like a gold star for their efforts. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely many, many people that are making positive changes and making breakthroughs and and creating these innovations that are really making a difference to the way that our agriculture is done. Well, and like we just talked about Grubblies a couple minutes ago and like Grubblies is doing some really amazing things for animal agriculture for like backyard chicken keepers. They've created this healthy snack that offsets carbon dioxide by what is it like one pound of Grubblies offsets 10 pounds of food waste which is seven pounds of carbon dioxide. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. Which is a pretty big deal. And I mean, I yeah. know we're talking about grub protein compared to animal protein, like in an animal protein episode. But like there are lots of little changes that that are made to animal feed and the way that we take care of livestock, even at a small scale, that makes a difference in all of animal agriculture. Exactly. And, and thinking through things like that, um, put your money where your mouth is. So if you really care about this stuff, like maybe that's why you buy Grubblies instead of a different product is because you do want to make a difference and you want to spend your money in a way that's going to positively impact the environment. And, you know, that could be by maybe you make the personal decision to become a vegan or vegetarian because you want to make your stamp there. Or maybe you go buy Grubblies. Or maybe you do both. I don't know. But there, there's more... It, this. This issue is so complex, it's not as simple as just stop eating meat. <laughs> well, 
Well, and I think that that was really great that you pointed that out. Like if you still don't want to eat meat for whatever reason, you're welcome to do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, just don't judge me while I shove a double quarter pounder into my mouth because it makes me feel secure, (laughs) (laughs) which might tell you a lot about myself. But (laughs) But homegirl is a carnivore, so don't judge me, please. (laughs) So removing animals from U.S. agriculture would technically lower national greenhouse gas emissions, but by a small degree. And it would also make it harder to meet nutritional requirements in communities that are food insecure, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah, I think that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, I said that right. (laughs) Gold star for Bev. (laughs) Woohoo! And many critics of animal agriculture are quick to point out that if farmers raised only plants, they could produce more pounds of food and more calories per person. But humans also need many essential micro and macronutrients for good health. So like that doesn't exactly address that issue. Right. But in some ways, it's kind of hard to make a compelling argument that the United States has a, you know, calorie deficit, given, you know, I was just talking about shoving a double quarter pounder into my mouth. Um, And there's a high national rate of adult and childhood obesity. But plants... Um, are not all edible. Like certain parts of the plants are edible or desirable. Obviously, you're not going to eat every plant. You're not going to go outside and sit in the ground and start eating the grass. Like it's not edible or desirable to go do that. And raising livestock is a way to add nutritional and economic value to plant agriculture. So it's like they're a power couple. Um, A good example that they give in this article is that the energy in plants that livestock consume is most often contained in cellulose, which is indigestible for humans and many other mammals. But cows, sheep, and other ruminant animals can break down cellulose and release the solar energy contained in the vast resource. Uh, And according to the FAO, as much as 70% of all agriculture land globally is rangeland that can only be utilized as grazing land for ruminant livestock. That's a whole lot of land. Yeah, that is. It's a good reminder that just stopping animal agriculture doesn't necessarily open up all of that land for other use. Because according to the FAO, 70% of it can't really be used for anything else. Right. And if you're going to try to make it be something it's not, that's going to cause a lot of greenhouse gas, I'm sure. (laughs) And do horrible things to the soil. (laughs) Just like pop a factory on it. (laughs) Yeah, you know... I'll take care of everything. Um, (laughs) So another fact that kind of like slapped me in the face was that the world population is currently projected to reach 9.8 billion people by 2050. And feeding this many people will raise immense challenges. And meat is more nutrient dense per serving than vegetarian options. And ruminant animals largely thrive on feed that is not sustainable for humans. So raising livestock offers much needed income for small-scale farmers in developing nations um, and worldwide livestock provides a livelihood for 1 billion people. So if you take livestock off the table, you just screwed over 1 billion people that need to get real creative real fast to 
have a livelihood. Yeah, which is something that is really important for us to remember because I think one of the things that happens like sitting where we're at is like we have so many options Mm -hmm. where we are, but people that live in third world countries that are just developing some of their agricultural industry so that they can thrive and eat and continue to make their lives better, like making a big switch like that would be really expensive and difficult for them. Right, exactly. So climate change does demand urgent attention and the livestock industry does have an environmental footprint that affects air, water, and land. So these combined with a rapidly rising world population give us plenty of compelling reasons to continue to work for greater efficiencies in animal agriculture, but also in in everything. It's Uh not just animal agriculture that needs to increase efficiencies. So many, so many places do. And this uh, Frank guy believes that the place to start is with science-based facts. And I totally agree with him. And that was why we wanted to talk about this, because it kind of clears the air about a common misconception that gets talked about when you talk about raising livestock for meat production. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I saw a documentary on Netflix called Cowspiracy. And oh, now I haven't watched that yet. talking about this, I want to go watch it because I just have it. I think it's in my list and I can't remember like which angle it points at, but I'll have to see if I can find some time to watch that. Maybe that would be a fun follow up or a fun future mini so to like rip into that and figure out when that was put out and when this all leaked out that it was kind of, you know bad data um, to be basing off of. So, (laughs) Well, and so what it is too, and and I don't know that it's all necessarily bad data because like it is data, but it, the data wasn't compared properly to other data to tell a real story. Like it kind of sounded like cherry picking data to compare things in a way that told the story you wanted to hear. Oh, so it's just like turning on the news. Yeah, kind of. Because <laughs> like the the life cycle, like the looking at, at the livestock life cycle, like totally from start to finish, like the numbers were right. But you can't you can't use that comparison and then just right. compare to the exhaust that comes out of, of cows tail or cows, cars tailpipes. <laughs> like if you really wanted to compare what came out of cars tailpipes to cows, you would just compare cars tailpipes to cows tailpipes. Like that's the picture you should be looking apples at, to right? Apples. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe, maybe because I'm not a scientist, I'm totally under or oversimplifying that. Perhaps. No, I don't. I don't think you are because, <laughs> like, like you and I kind of talked before we hit the record button. I'm a little nervous talking about this because you say climate change and that like triggers some people, and that's not the goal of today. And I did a lot of cross checking, um, and sometimes you're reading the data, and you're like, oh my god, I'm like, oh my god, what we're gonna say is wrong, but you have to dig into like what the data all entails because different bits and pieces will be slotted into some things, but not others. So I don't think you're oversimplifying it. I think you're putting it in a way that's easy to understand. Um, and it's relatable because who can't think of a car tailpipe and a cow butt, you know, that's going to stick with people. (laughs) People should remember that, right? Maybe it should be the episode title. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I feel like some of it did um, come off as being just a tad confusing just because we kind of bounced around from talking about just the United States numbers to like then talking about global impacts of removing animal agriculture. And I think that like, you know, if we're going to just talk about uh, the climate impact of America's animal agriculture, then we should just stick to what, you know, what impact animal agriculture has on America or the United States in general. Does that make any sense? So I think some of it did end up getting a little weird. But I mean, the fact that the FAO like came out and said, oh, yeah, you're right. That is not how we should have compared that. I think that that says something. Right. Right. So I guess you guys let us know if it came off weird because we didn't mean it to. <laughs> um, but I, I found the like global numbers to be really um, impactful, especially when you put into perspective that a billion people make a living off of livestock and agriculture. Um, that is really impactful. So it, and to me, that tells me it's not that simple as just stop eating meat. Um in that it is encouraging that we're looking at ways that we can make things more efficient um, as the planet continues to grow um, in population size, but not in space. Um, we're going to have to figure out how to be more efficient. And I'm super proud of the agriculture industry and that it is just kicking butt and taking names in this area. And looks like it's nothing's going to slow them down. They're going to just keep doing it. So go team. Yep. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. And you know, if you're curious of what we're talking about, go find some real farmers to follow on Instagram. A lot of them are telling their stories of how they're doing things and what difference they're making and what impact they're making and the things that they're learning and how they're growing to do their best. I mean, and that's all that we can ask of them, right? I think so. So again, if you don't eat meat and you decide that you don't want to eat meat or you want to cut down on meat, that is totally your personal decision. We hold no judgment on you. No, no. <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks for hearing this part. <laughs> yeah. Now we're going to go to We Can't Even Corner and hopefully, you know, everybody's still kumbaya with us after that talk. <laughs> they should be. I think we did. I think we did good. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to discuss it with us, please join our Facebook group and have a conversation with us about it because we're totally open to discussing it. And we have follow-up and corrections corner for a reason. Mm -hmm. So if you think any of that was wrong, feel free to nicely tell us and we'll dig into it and we'll talk about it and point it out on the next episode. Yeah, just don't be a dick. That's our only rule. It really is. I almost said that. I almost just said it's our <laughs> only rule. <laughs> See, we agree on it, so it's true. <laughs> Okay, so tell me your can't even this week, Bev. Okay, so I can't believe that I survived my hour in a sensory deprivation tank. Ugh, and I'd totally do it again. You're so brave. <laughs> okay, tell me tell me what it was like. Okay, so I told you uh, that my beer had something to do with what my can't even was uh, mm -hmm. this week. And did you get the cross-reference? Oh, yeah, I got it. Loud and clear. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so in case people need a refresher on what a sensory deprivation tank is, uh, it's like a little place where you float in like crazy salty water for an hour with like all of your senses removed. <laughs> so that's why salty bitch was appropriate. I'm like extra salty today. So I'm not going to lie. It was just a little weird. Um, but we 
went to a place that had a couple of different options in the type of tank that you could float in. And the ones that we used um, were called cabin float tanks. And what it was was like it looked like a large walk-in shower and it had about eight inches of salt water on the bottom of it. So there was a shower in the room that the float tank was in and I was required to shower before and after the float. Yeah, and trust me, after the float, you definitely want to because I think they said there was... (laughs) a thousand pounds of salt in that water it was something insane (laughs) (laughs) but it was kind of neat um once my hour started the cabin kind of played this like five minutes of a really relaxing tune so that i would you know relax and kind of get into it and i did flounder for a little bit because it's a little weird to just like lay back in salt water (laughs) and float (laughs) and it took me a while to figure out how to get my head comfortable that was the hardest part because you want to hold your head up but you're not supposed to but they have like this little head pillow that i put under my head and that helps just a little bit Mm. um so while i'm figuring out how to get comfortable there is a light on inside the tank and I have total control over that light, just as long as I can find it on the wall. But luckily, the tank's not that big. <laughs> so even when I lost it, I could like quickly like paddle over there and find it. <laughs> and I didn't think I was going to be brave enough to actually shut it off. Like when I looked in there, I was like, there's no way I'm shutting that light off. That sounds absolutely <laughs> terrifying. But after I relaxed and I kind of got into it, I found the light to be a little distracting, even though it was kind of soft. And I went ahead and turned the light out. And I kept it off for most of the float. So I'm pretty proud of myself for that. Good job. It was really relaxing. And it really felt like I was floating in like nothing. I couldn't feel anything because the water was the same temperature as my skin. So like I could barely tell where the water ended and like my skin that was sticking out of the water began, if that makes any sense. Sounds a little like science fiction-y. (laughs) (laughs) right it does (laughs) and because of the dark like you could you could be upside down you could be facing anywhere like I found myself all the way at the bottom like the foot of the tank under like where the low ceiling was just a few times and once I figured that out it freaked me out a little bit because I don't like being in really small spaces I'd like kind of push myself out of there and get back over to the (laughs) open side (laughs) and I also learned that thankfully I had zero cuts because there were no burning salty wounds on my body so yay for that yay (laughs) and I would give it a 10 out of 10 and would totally do it again So did you feel like it went by really fast? Because, like, did they shut the music off after five minutes? Like, I feel like I would just be alone in my thoughts and it would not, I'd, like, spiral because it'd be so quiet. it did feel, well, it went through phases of where it felt long. And then, like, by the time the music started back up again, I was like, oh, that's it? It's over? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I did spiral for just a minute, and it was was really weird. It gave you earplugs to keep the salt water out. And I thought I could hear this dripping noise because one of my earplugs had kind of lost its seal. But I was trying not to stuff my finger in there because it's covered in salt water now. So I was trying not to get the salt water (laughs) in my ear. And so I thought I could hear this dripping noise. So I'm floating and it's in the dark. And I'm like, gosh, that dripping noise is going to drive me nuts. I better get up and fix that so that I can enjoy the rest of the float. So I kind of flounder over to the light, turn the light on. And I they have like a bottle of water in there. So you can spray your hands down and your face down with the water to so you can touch things without getting salt everywhere. And I pulled my earplug out and I listen. I'm like, oh, I didn't leave the shower on. That wasn't dripping. That was just my heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> 
forgot what that sounds like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I stuck it back in, got comfortable again, and then turned the lights out. And then from then on out, I was totally fine. Like when I started to feel myself thinking of unpleasant things, I repeated to myself that brain priming mantra that I've been listening to. And like mm-hmm. one of the things that it says in it is, I am in control of my thoughts. I can think better thoughts that lead to like better feelings. And mm-hmm. so that was what I told myself. I'm like, I'm in control of my thoughts and my thoughts make my reality. And when I have good thoughts, my reality is a good reality. So I kind of did that in my head a few times and then I could shut it off and just listen to my breathing or listen to my heartbeat. So yeah, it was it was very woo-woo, but I really enjoyed it. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad it wasn't a bad experience because that could have been like the worst hour of your life if it was a bad experience. <laughs> right. Well, and I think that if I had gone in there telling myself that I was afraid of it being a bad experience, it, it probably would have been, if that makes any sense. Like I was really into this, like, if I think this is going to be amazing, it's going to be amazing. And then that was yeah that. that worked out for me (laughs) in this instance (laughs) so did your husband do it too oh yeah he totally did yeah this was his idea okay so what did he think about it did he also enjoy it he really enjoyed it also I think he struggled with it just a little more than I did um but he said that he liked it yeah he um he was having a hard time um keeping his breathing even like when he leaned back in the water he said he was kind of doing this like like skip breath thing and he said that would make it really hard to relax but then once he like figured out how to like you know breathe in your nose breathe in slowly out of your mouth and stop that from happening because when you're panic breathing your body starts to do panic things so yes I did that the first first time I went snorkeling it was not good yeah my husband does that every time he goes scuba diving too yeah. Oh, that's funny. Me and your husband sound a lot alike. That's maybe why you, you guys like are. me so much. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Sam's my podcast husband. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's all I've ever wanted in a podcast co-host. <laughs> so what can't you even this week? So <laughs> this week, um, my can't even comes from a USA Today article. Um, and let me know if I'm saying this wrong. Y- okay. Yuling? Yuling? Yuingling? Yingling. Yingling. Thank you. Yingling. So, Yingling. <laughs> That's fun to say. So Yingling, is. which is a beer company, and Hershey's have concocted a new chocolate porter. And obviously you're probably like Sam. There are like a million chocolate porters out there. But here's the thing. Yingling is the oldest brewery in the United States, and Hershey's is one of, like, the nation's oldest and most respected brands. So, to me, this is like marrying two American traditions, even though Sam didn't know how to say Yingling until today. Um, (laughs) It's a big deal that these two brewers, like, came together to collaborate and put together Yingling's first collaborative beer in its 190-year history. Um, and the chocolate porter is available, um, or is actually Hershey's first licensed beer partnership too. So they took each other's beer partnership virginities oh. and created this love child that I need to find, um, cause it sounds good and it just seems like something I need to try. So, 
Um, Yingling and Hershey actually spent about a year developing this beer, uh, which uses as its base the traditional dark brewed porter from Yingling um, that the brewery has had since its opening. And that beer, um, which already has hints of caramel and chocolate, is enhanced with Hershey's cocoa um, syrup and nibs, which are added during the brewing. And this results in a beer that is claimed to be savory, semi-sweet, um, or it has a savory, semi-sweet aroma, a rich consistency, and a dark chocolate-flavored finish. And it's not overpowering either. Um, it's 4.7% alcohol by volume. And it's meant to be paired with desserts and cheeses, uh, but it's also good on its own. So if you have access to that, you're, you're going to have to try it for us and, and let us know how it is. Um, and I'm also going to try to find it too. <laughs> but I thought that was really cool. And there was like a lot of history there. So very fun can't even this week. That is really cool. And we should totally be able to find it. If you can't find it, I'll be able to find it because Yingling distributes to Ohio. Oh, nice. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I'll just have to go on a hunt for it. Well, I'll keep an eye out for that. Cool. So we don't have any farm stories this week. Um, so make sure you send us yours. It can be funny, sad. You can try to make us cry. That's always fun for people. Um, it can be shocking. It can be scary. Um, it can be any variety of farm story. We want to hear it. We want to read it. Um, so send that to us at drinkandfarm at gmail.com and you will most likely hear it on an upcoming episode. Yeah. And we're going to do our thing right now where we read our favorite Apple podcast review of the week. And if you want to be included in this, you want to be sure and leave us a review over on Apple podcasts. If you don't have an Apple product, you can download iTunes to your regular old laptop or desktop computer and you can rate and review there. And what we're going to do is we're going to take all the reviews that we read for the month, draw a name out of the hat, and that person will get an exclusive coffee mug that is not and will never be in our shop. And make sure that you leave your Instagram handle in the review somewhere or as like your iTunes name. That way we can find you when you win so we can send you your mug. Yeah. So this week's review uh, is titled Naturally My Favorite Ladies which is just so nice. <laughs> um, and this is from Jenna, who is the Grateful Rabbit Tree on Instagram. And she says, I absolutely adore listening to Bev and Sam chat about their farm lives. This podcast brings joy to my life every day. I replay episodes since I've listened to them all three times plus. Ha! While I'm cleaning or doing my farm chores. It's like I'm right there in the room laughing with you ladies. Keep rocking it, girls. Thanks, Jenna. I think you've listened to the episodes maybe more than Bev has. And she's the one that edits them. <laughs> so you deserve some kind of like so too. badge or reward or something. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, if I had a badge to give out for that, I would totally do it. <laughs> All right, so just some quick housekeeping. Um, make sure you, you hit that subscribe button and download the episode when you listen. This helps more people like you find us. Um, it helps us on Apple's charts. Um, so that's an important and really easy way to support the podcast and not have to pay a penny. So we will be eternally grateful if you do that. 
Yeah, and do us a favor and share this episode over on Instagram in your stories and tag us at Drink and Farm because we will send you a promo code that is good just for this episode and we'll give you a percentage off in our shop. And make sure you take a look at today's show notes to find links to the articles we discussed, a survey where you can tell us how we're doing, all of our social media goodness, and links to our merch shops. And thanks so much for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed these last two episodes where we did something a little different and just kind of talked about some interesting farm research that was out there. Yeah, and we're also going to have some upcoming minisodes coming your way, and we're going to start covering the Rotten series on Netflix. So make sure you go check out the Avocado episode. That is the first one we're going to go over, and that is in Season 2, Episode 1 of Rotten over on Netflix. No, they're not sponsoring us. We're just super excited to dig into those and, you know, make some avocado toast and, and talk about it or something. Um, so if you want to follow along with us in that journey, make sure you go do that. That'll be coming to your ears very shortly. Yeah. And next week, we promise we've got some pretty fun farm stories of our own to tell you. I know we haven't talked about ourselves in a while. I guess it's only been two (laughs) weeks, but still two weeks is kind of a long time to not talk about yourself when you have a podcast where you usually talk about yourself. (laughs) Right. But I thought it was really important to decriminalize cows this week. So I I took the bullet on that one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And until next time, drink farm and and give give zero zero clucks (laughs) bye guys we drink things we farm things we drink and farm